0: Jesus, Deacon Deacon Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. All right, let's pray, uh, Father. Uh, first, I just uh, we bring we bring Laura before you, and her, as she's gearing up to go back um, very soon and uh, be able to get the Word of God um, audibly to uh, women and children, that they would hear the gospel for the first time in their own language. And, uh, Father, that they, they can't read, that um, even through this they would learn to even to be able to read, that this would be a good tool. But most importantly, that they would get the hope of salvation and know um, the greater plan for their lives. And so we ask that you bless Laura with the abundance of fruit, and that fruit being deep, new and deep believers. And Father, also for the rest of this time, that you'd get me out of your way, that your truths would be lifted up, and you would be glorified. Thank you, Jesus. Alright, so as we switch gears, we're going to talk about something called the Meta-Narrative. Now, believe it or not, this is a teen series. So this is perfect for the teens that are here. It's universal for all of us because, uh, believe it or not, how many of us were one-time teenagers? Alright, so some, some of us were hesitant on that. I don't, nah, it wasn't me. I don't remember that time. Okay? But there's a big story taking place. The meta narrative means the big story. Meta, all right, big and then narrative story. Now the the scripture has many meta narratives going on or big stories. But this particular one we're going to talk about is specifically the big story of the Christian. All right? But, before we do that, I want to talk about some other big stories that you might be familiar with. Um, In the young adult series of books, from Harry Potter, Maze Runner, The Hunger Games, and of course my two favorite, The Chronicles of Narnia, and even Spider-Man. All right. There's a meta narrative, a big story that they all have in common. Even The Hobbit has all these stories in common, um, and I'm going to mention some of them. But this is what makes the books popular. Right here is first of all, does anyone remember the story of the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Right, they're playing hide and seek, and the youngest girl. First of all, are there adults? They're kids or teenagers. They're in that, they're in that transition phase where they're no longer children that get their marching orders from their parents. Now they're teens and there's a time of self-discovery. There's a time of transition taking place, a time of, of claiming your own independence, right? Teens, right? Someone going for their license this week maybe, right? Freedom when you get your car and your license and you're driving off to college. Woo! Right. <laughs> okay. Well, in this case, here's the youngest of the four. Two of them are teenagers. This one's an adolescent. She hides in the wardrobe, and what happens? She keeps. She tries to go to the back of the wardrobe, and what happens? She keeps going. She keeps going, and all of a sudden, she comes to a what? Forest. A who? What? First. A forest. What's the force doing in the wardrobe? She comes to like a whole new world of things. Wait a minute. No adult told me about this. Matter of fact, adults don't believe me. My brothers and sisters don't believe me. All right? Harry Potter. Here's anyone that was the biggest of the popular ones, the later, greater ones. Here's the poor boy. He's living in the stairwell of his relatives because his family's dead, and the parent, you know, and he's he's just like the, the the he's what's left over on the heel of everybody's shoe, right? And then something strange happens, and he gets a special calling, and all of a sudden he's brought into this whole new world that's always been there. Right in front of him And all of a sudden he begins to discover things And realize, whoa And all of a sudden he begins to realize that Even the scars that he has And everything is significant And he has a purpose and a meaning in this world Same with Chronicles of Narnia Once all four kids get into this new world What happens? It turns out they're kids of a prophecy That's going to bring about a new age To this land Right? All these significant things. Let's talk about my hero, Spider-Man, right? In school, and by the way, the latest Marvel movies that come out, and the latest comic book series that are gonna come out, is going back to this traditional Spider-Man. Thank you very much. And in this story, he's a nerdy kid in school, which was me, right? And he's, he's the photographer, and all the jocks, and they don't have jocks in Papa. Everybody switches roles. You're in the band, you're playing sports, you're doing the science fair, but in the bigger schools, people separate. Right? And I was in the band and I played D&D, Dungeons and Dragons, I was a gamer, I was a nerd, I didn't dress well, my hair wasn't very kept, my glasses were always broken and super glued. I remember going into this cafeteria with my, I didn't have a backpack, I had one of those like duffel bags, Lawrence Bulldog duffel bags. And I go in there and my glasses, my lens goes, Flips right out of my glasses, shatters right there in the middle of the dining hall, right? So I pick up the biggest piece in the rest of the day so I can watch what's going on. All right, so that's Peter Parker. And then he gets bit by a radioactive spider, which happens all the time. And he gets superpowers. Now he can beat up the jocks. He's faster than them. And, and now he's got a secret life of a superhero in these in evenings. And I love, of course, his motto, which is, with great power comes... Yeah! Woo! You all know it! The teens, I don't think, knew it, but the adults knew it. Excellent. Okay? Even in The Hobbit. What happens in The Hobbit? He's a stodgy fellow who's like, they, they're supposed to portray English people, right? He likes his tea, he likes his quiet life, and all of a sudden a wizard comes knocking on his door. How would you like to go on an adventure? Mm, No thank you Right, And all of a sudden all these dwarves show up And they're all messy and loud And they're messing up his house And eventually he gets swept off into adventure And totally transform who he is Okay All these stories have a meta narrative How about the Hunger Games Anyone familiar with the Hunger Games Is it a teenager Teenage girl, Katniss, what she do is she first, she sacrifices herself in her sister's place, and it turns out she becomes the character that is the banner of change for this dystopian world. That's a big one. A lot of dystopian worlds. Dystopian means the future's bad. And it's these teenagers in their own self-discovery are the ones that rescue everybody. That's not a bad story. That's a good story. Matter of fact, believe it or not, the two teens that are in this room is that <laughs> the every adult here has had that or even still has that dream in our hearts life has beaten on us it's not as easy as the movies i can't wrap it up in an hour and a half right anyway but that's still there uh what's the next series i want to pick on well let 's look at the dystopian books a little more of the most popular ones that have been coming out recently. Uh, this is just interesting stat. The authors, except for one, are all ladies, and most of the books, except for one, um, the, the main character, the protagonist, is a la- is a young girl, a teenage girl and self discovery. even the Twilight movies, right? Is anyone here a fan of The Twilight movies? I tried watching them. To me, it's like... Get to the fights already. You know, it's interesting. A, a guy book, you know, um, the guy has action and wins the girl in the end, right? That's what guys, that's what we want. We're purpose, we're meaningful, we can conquer, and then we can be sensitive and caring, right? But with the ladies in their books, it's like the Twilight books. It's like, okay, they got that, that weird romance. She's discovering the new world. She's a teenager, right, and all that. And, oh, vampires are in my high school. Oh, and this one likes me, right? And then, and then the story goes on. <clears throat> yeah yeah a lot of adults like the twilight series and then it goes um but watching the movies it's like you're watching the dramas of all right so what happens when this boy is discovers that there's a love triangle and it's like can we just fast forward to the fight? Who cares what the guy thinks, right? Get to the fight and then let them all live happily ever after. No, no. So I could not connect with the movies, and I certainly had never read the books. So, but the fight scenes were cool. There was only one at the beginning and one at the end. But anyway. So anyway, um, there's a story arc there. There's a meta narrative. I just want to mention a couple more real quick that you may not have heard. Well, the Princess Diary series. They made a, Disney made a movie out of that. Young teenage girl realizes she's the princess of a, of a king or a prince of another land and now she has to learn to be, be something, you know, that she wasn't before and discovering and blah blah blah. Right? Here's the Delirium series. I've known nothing about, but this: the dystopian future in America. The government classifies love as a disease. All citizens, once they turn 18, receive a government operation to cure the unwanted emotion of love. And then this girl looks forward to her operation to be safe and predictable, happy life. But then she falls in love. Uh oh. She fell in love before she got a cure to that. Hush, hush saga. Now, this is where the supernatural comes into play. Human beings are hungry for something more than this world. They're hungry for supernatural, big time. So in the first volume of Hush, hush saga, high school sophomore Nora must deal with her feelings for Patch, a classmate and biology partner who turns out to be a fallen angel. Oh well, now in the movies and the people who hate God, fallen angels are never bad. Only in the Bible are fallen angels bad, right? There's a sci-fi has the latest TV series where the fallen angels are protecting the humans from God, based off a movie that came out a couple of years ago. Really bad, nice and twisted, right? Uh, the, I don't know what that other one is, Genema. Doyle series. But anyway, another girl, she's 16, goes to England, realizes she's got magic powers and can see into the spirit world and uh, now she's got a new adventure. You see the themes going on? Self-discovery of the Vampire Academy series. Well, of course. Vampires, right? Two years after a horrible incident, made them run away. Vampire Princess Lisa and her guardian and training Rose are found and returned to Vladimir's Academy and, uh, Folks, on, ah, eh, she's trying to become something alright, there, and the maze runner there's a boy, right, he wakes up in the middle of a maze with no memory realizing he must work with the community in which he finds himself to escape, but once he escapes, he discovers the outside world is a new and dangerous place okay, so that's the one guy one where the guy's the protagonist okay, and we already talked about these two I've already emphasized them, so let's move on to the story arc Every story book that you read has an arc to it. Even the scriptures do. And there's an introduction, you're developed to the characters, there's a development of the story as the, as the the bad guys get revealed and the good guys and it looks like the bad guy's gonna win, and then there's the climax of the story where the good guy finally resolves at the end and beats the bad guy, and then there's the resolution. Right? That's every movie story book out there. Except for the book 1984. If you want to get depressed, read that book. Because it does not end that way. It ends with the bad guys win and the good guys lose. So here's the general idea of the chapters of these books and what's going on is the the main theme of chapters is there's the daily grind of life where you know you as teenagers you're coming up you're beginning to realize you know school and then work what's this and you're looking at your parents and you're looking at your grandparents and and it's like man they, Is there more to this? What, you know, what's going on? And then how do I fit into all this? And then what happens in the storybooks, there's an invitation to be different. That's a very ambiguous statement. Meaning, you know, whether it's a forced event, Or something, and all of a sudden you realize you're in a new place in the books, or it's, you know, or it's a um, something you stumble onto, or you know, or it actually is a choice. But there's an invitation to be different than the norm. Uh, discovering a world Very few even know about Now all of a sudden the Harry Potters and everything Now it's like oh I never knew this was there Harry Potter walks into the train station And there's a pillar And the pillar is the entrance To the train that he's going to take But only people with special powers Can walk through there to the magical train Okay that type of thing So and discovering that There's another world Right here that you can See of course, it's always a spiritual world of some some level. Uh, discovering that there's a great war and realizing that you are part of it, that's always in the story. Discovering that the character, the, the, the protagonist, is special, different, called out. You're not just realizing there's more to this, but you are unique and you're pulled out to, for a special role in this. Um, and, and has a special calling old friends of the old life they begin to lose them Right? Now that you got a special calling and there's a big new world and there's new dynamics and all of a sudden your friends are going, nope, I want to live the life of a muggle, I don't want to go with you. Alright? Muggles from Harry Potter, that means the hunt, the humans that have no magical powers, right? And then, uh, discover new friends who are special too and then usually by the end of the book, the teenager embraces the the purpose and the call and moves on and then book two is conflict. Alright, so the end of book one of the Hunger Games The girl wins the Hunger Games And now all of a sudden Everything breaks loose Because she should have died Okay, they all should have died Everyone should have lost, but she wins And now the government, the humans, the adults Really want to put her down And not let her be free Like Ariel and the Little Mermaid, right? They really want to squash her So Where am, you know, here's Snoopy thinking, where am I going? What am I doing? What is the meaning of life? And now what we're going to do is, before I go a little bit deeper and then we're going to end, I'm going to do a heart test first. Because I'm not just going to leave you with a cliffhanger and not tell you biblical truth. I'm trying to set a premise here. However, I'm going to give you the answer In advance, and I want you to test your pulse, test your heart. Do you give a rip? Because this is what it's all about. This is it. Okay? This might sound familiar to you. Now, even when the kids were practicing this, it took me two seconds to get this off the internet. I typed in Westminster Catechism. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let's soak on that for a second. Glorify God and enjoy Him. Enjoy Him. There's a person, God. And our purpose, our chief end, why we're created, is to enjoy God. Now, On a scale from 1 to 10, how much does that turn you on? Does that make you go, yeah, that's the end. of That's my Friday. That's my weekend. Me and God soaking it up, being together, just loving it. Does that turn us on? Does that excite us? Or does that like, religion? You're going to try to shove religion in this? You had my heart, man. You had my attention. And now you're putting religion into it? That's a bad sign. If you're going, oh, man, you're throwing religion at me, then I hope through this series that we're going to do that you begin to discover the true purpose and meaning for existence. And, of course, I'm going to mention a few other things because I'm giving you the keys to the universe right now. Deuteronomy 6, five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If that's the greatest commandment in the universe, don't you think that the happiest, most joyous, most fulfilling you you could ever be is if you chase that with everything you have. That's the answer. There is no answer. We were at a bookstore just yesterday. There were some Bibles below and there was Celtic patterns. There was witchcraft. There was all this junk at the top of a bookshelf under religion and there were some Bibles below. This stuff at the top was hell. Evil crap. Down below is the meaning and purpose of life. Lost people don't know that. Do you care? That's where it's at. That's where it's at. Teenagers, you're going off to college, you're going to have professors who are going to poop on God. That's where it's at. In school, my kids were prepping this year. We've got to get them ready because the teachers are going to try to show them horror movies. We've got to teach even young children that the adults there who don't know Jesus are unable to protect you. This is where it's at. Right? So let's unpack that. What does it mean to love God? Well, God tells us. He doesn't keep mysteries and secrets. So, if someone ever says to you, God works in the mysterious ways, open up a Bible and say, No, He doesn't. He told us. Exactly! Here's what he's telling us. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what it looks like to love people. I almost feel like we mentioned that this morning in our purpose. Did we not? I, I was having a discussion with my brother. He likes to separate things, my oldest brother. He's a Christian. We really get into it good. And it's like, uh, what's, the great co- what's the great commission? Go make disciples. What do you mean by that? Why, why are you breaking that up? Um, he likes to not evangelize. He's always looking for an excuse not to tell the gospel. He says, no, I like to teach and preach the ones that are already Christians. Right? He likes to disciple people, and he'll get nitty-gritty. But he doesn't like to talk to people about Jesus. So he's thinking, well, that's not my gift, so I'm not going to do it. Um, you can't make a disciple unless you've already shared the gospel with them. All right, You can do it casually. You don't have to be in the street corner, but you've got to do it. So here it is. This is what it looks like to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You got the great commandment. You got the great commission. You want to make sure that you're worshiping, that you're ministering somewhere, that you're evangelizing, you're fellowshipping, and discipling. That's it. All the rest of your life must conform into this. This is the core of your calendar, not the side things. This is the compass, not anything else. God gives us everything else to enable us to do this. This is the center. This is the target. This is the purpose. This is the core. And we have to wrestle and transform ourselves to the image and purpose and will of God. Just want to make sure we're all clear on that. Okay, almost done. (laughs) <laughs> so here's the duty of man in Ecclesiastes 12, 12 through 14. My son, beware of anything beyond these, and make of making many books, there is no end, and of much study of, and is a weariness of the flesh. So teenagers who don't like homework, yay! Bible agrees with me. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. With every secret thing, whether good or evil. So I'm just going to give one or two slides on the daily grind of life, and we will be done with plenty of time to go home. All right. The neat thing for for teens, if you really want to get a grip on things, and adults, of course, all of us here, is Ecclesiastes. Really, lay, you know, whatever you got to disgruntle on on life and what you're experiencing. Uh, Ecclesiastes, believe it or not, can help you with that. Um, 1 through 18. Uh, I'm not going to read all this. I'm just going to highlight for, the, for time's sake. Hey, look at verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So he's trying to set people up. You know, of what they're looking at, and the whole whole things that everybody's churning and doing their daily for, and oh man, isn't there any hope in this? What it's all meaningless. And then um, here's Ecclesiastes two twenty two and twenty three. Have you ever watched your parents come home after working all day, and they're tired, maybe frustrated, maybe injured even, right? And you know, and you're as teenagers. You want to have fun. You got hopes. You got dreams. You got, and we all were teenagers. So I'm talking to the teenager and all of us as well. And then we come home and we see the parents just stressed out over the table or drinking their coffee. My parents would smoke, and that would help them relax. You know, and then they just they just be stressed out. And. And then, they would, uh, turn into TV zombies, because then in the evenings, and I remember in in my neighborhood was three streets, and in the evening, which five o'clock in the fall, you know, you could walk up the street and you just see the, the glow of the TVs on in every living room. You know, and even as a teenager, I'm thinking, what pattern am I looking at here? I don't want this. Everybody's bugged out, and now they're droned out. And it's like, ugh, come on, there's got to be more than that, right? Ecclesiastes two twenty-two and 23. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too... Is meaningless Right How about this one Now you know we want Kids we want to enjoy Christmas We want to enjoy Easter We want to enjoy a good birthday party We want to enjoy going to the beach Teens we want to have parties too Right Everyone wants to have a good time And that's not sinful at all Wanting to have a good time We want to enjoy our life Don't we And we're looking for a good time Um But the writer of Ecclesiastes, who was the most wise king and most wise man of all time, Solomon, he experimented. He was able to keep his wisdom, be wise on one day, and be a party animal the next day, and keep his wisdom. And here's some of what he did. Come now, I will test you with pleasure and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the, sun, under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water groves, of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward of all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun." So Solomon had it all, he had the wisdom, he had the wealth, he had everything, and he did not hold back on anything. He was the wild party man from California, and Donald Trump the next day just making money and building buildings, right? He was doing it all, he had it all, and he did it all. And at the end of it, he wakes up and goes, now what? Right? That's what he's saying. So, um, more Daily Grind observances from Ecclesiastes 7, 1-3. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. I remember sitting there, and uh, I was a junior in high school, and it might have been a Thursday or Friday, and the cheerleaders behind me, they were talking about their weekend fun, and the girls saying, oh my, oh my. I We drank so much, and I started throwing up, and throwing up, and throwing up, and then I started throwing up blood. Whoa, what a weekend. And I'm thinking... That, you know, I may be young and looking for fun, but that is dumb with a capital D, right? There is nothing attractive in that stupid statement from that poor girl, all right? So um, there's, you know, there's a lot of sadness in that. Uh, Ecclesiastes seven five and six It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the song of fools, like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless, and uh, oh there 's the cheerleader blood thing story. I have so many stories anyway um, and have you, have you ever known that? You go into a certain group of people and there 's that cackling group over there of just People just being out of control and they're laughing and they're not happy laughing, but just that you know they're out of control. Foolish laughter. I'm not talking about people happy to see each other. Ecclesiastes seven seven, extortion turns a wise person into a fool and a bride corrupts the heart. Hmm, anyone ever heard of lobbyists in the in the Capitol? Even Christian lobbyists, they go up to the politicians say, I'll give you some money if you vote our way. Right? Scripture poo poos that. Scripture says that's bad. Okay? Ecclesiastes 7 8 through 10. The end of the matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, Where the old days were, um, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such a question. Have you ever heard anyone ever say, Oh, the good old days! Oh, I was so much better then. Alright, scripture says eh, uh, that's not wise to say that. We're almost done. Here we go. The last two verse, last two slides. Okay, getting back to the story. Chapter one's the daily grind, and you're seeing good things, you're seeing bad things, and the story for the Christian is what's my purpose in all this? What's going on? I see bad, I see good, I want good, I have my own dreams to fulfill that I want to see happen. But am I different? Am I special? Do I have a calling? Am I attractive? I have desires and dreams. Will they get fulfilled? What do I believe? Is what my parents saying, is that true? That's a big one for teens, because like, yeah, my parents believe it, my parents are going to church all the time, but do I believe that? Is that true for me? And although it's not subjective, when I added for me, the fact is, truth is truth. But at some point, a young person has to realize the truth is truth on their own. And uh, the, all these answers are yes, but only for Christians. So here's the, la- the calling, and then we're done. Oops. Nah, I knew you'd go back. Okay, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And what I want to point out here is that the majority of folks in the school system on Facebook is a great example of that. They're in the hordes. are marching towards death and destruction. And they're celebrating evil. And they're just blind to truth and morality and goodness. And it's so sad and disgusting all at the same time. Which way will you go? Because even for the young people here To live for Jesus Is the most complicated Most challenging Most painful Yet exciting Fulfilling Amazing Adventure You will ever have And only Jesus Can offer that Nothing else Can offer that No pseudo spirituality None of that other junk No Olsteins None of that junk The real thing is following Jesus and doing what he says no matter what the world says. Because the world's wrong and the world's going to hell. Will you follow Jesus instead? The battle's crazy, but it's crazy awesome. Next week is chapter 2. And that's the invitation to be different. When it's put before you, which way do you go? Who will you follow? What will you do? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the scriptures, this amazing non-secret book that has the meaning and purpose to light the universe and everything that has been put out before us to be able to consume for us in America, Father, in many different languages of English. And yet, Father, and then for Laura, who actually brings this to folks who, who, who don't have it in writing and couldn't read it if it was. Father, help us to embrace the most incredible, awesome calling ever to live for Jesus. And uh, do it right here in Pawpaw, too. Be glorified, Jesus. Amen. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakendeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. DeaconDeacon.com Truth is here.